This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. This is Dr. Charles Parker back one more time with Core Brain Journal. We have a very interesting conversation today from a person who's a local person right here in beautiful downtown Norfolk, Dr. Ron Rosenthal, and he's going to be talking to us about migraines. Welcome, Ron. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to introduce Ron more formally in just a moment. First of all, we're going to say a few words from our sponsor just to warm things up, and then we'll go ahead and talk a little more about Ron. And he's going to tell us about a very interesting book that he's written on the whole business of the combination of headaches, migraines, and tinnitus or tinnitus. It, do, it depends on whether you're living in Memphis or not, how you pronounce that last one. So <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. So regarding our sponsors, you listeners already know how much we love the reality of data here at Core Brain Journal. And today we welcome our clinical friend and our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory with over get this, 3 million studies. They are deep leaders of experience with a big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. All of these are absolutely relevant in mind science. They have a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about them in the middle. We'll take a little break. UCBJ listeners already know how much we appreciate detailed improvements of mind care. Today, we're pleased to announce a new sponsor and partner with a deep interest in fresh options to address the complexity, get this, adolescent treatment failure nationally and internationally. Many of you know the treatment failure goes into a hospital. Most of the hospitals are acute care, throw some meds at them a week or two, they're out. Uh, some of these children and adolescents really need a little more structured care that really comes at it from a specific uh, direction of family support. And the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center is our group here in Norfolk, and they provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal basis. They're TRICARE friendly, and they do their work on a global level more later. All right, get over that introduction, and we'll go on and talk to you. Ron, we're looking forward to it. Ron Rosenthal. Me too. Uh, thank you. Ron Rosenthal is a dentist, yes, and he is a public speaker. He's a woodworker, a stained glass artisan, singer, actor, sailor, and he's the author of several Kindle books. We're going to be talking about some of those books in just a moment. So why would I have a dentist on? Well, with degrees in dentistry, biology, education, and a fellowship in the Academy of General Dentistry, he left Virginia long ago for the hills of Kentucky where he taught uh, dental school there. While there, in addition to enjoying the beautiful outdoors, canoeing the rivers and streams, this is a key point. He was a co-director of the Division of Occlusion. That's where they teach all about headaches and migraines. So he was also the director of the planning division there. And so then he also got involved later on. He moved back to Virginia. He started practicing again here. And he became involved with the Snoring and Sleep Apnea Center and opened the Snore Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. 
So he was invited by the head of the Sleep Disorder Center at the University of Virginia to attend their clinical conferences, did some presentations there. And later on, he discovered a very interesting thing that he's going to share with us here. And that is he found fortuitously that tinnitus or tinnitus, I'll say it one way and be done with it, tinnitus was connected with migraine headaches when he got a person uh, came to him and he really helped her get better with migraines interestingly the tinnitus went away so ron we're looking forward to your telling us all about that before we get started why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now a little bit about who you are personally so we can get an idea of that personal narrative your personal story well, I'm retired now, first of all, at 80, and I'm writing and speaking, and that's all I do now. Uh, my books are not written for the professions. They're written for the patients who suffer from these problems, because these people just don't know where to go to get help mm -hmm. for, like, headache or migraine or tinnitus, tinnitus. Uh, whichever you want to say. Uh, and the, the, the thing that really, really is important to realize is that they are not medical problems. And I've got to get that message out because people keep going to their physicians for these problems as opposed to their dentist. And it's not a medical problem. It's a dental problem. And if you go to a dentist who knows how to treat these things, they're gone. Well, they're eliminated from your life. Uh, I know we're not supposed to use the cure word anymore today, uh, but it just seems ridiculous to have to say, I eliminated it from these people's lives when one word would do, but that's the way things work. Well, cure so, has a categorical sound to it, and it's a little bit on the absolute side. So then what happens is, and people are going to react to it, especially they'll react to it as a medical term. You know, you, and so what happens is it has the sound of a promise. And I think what we're doing is we're trying to uh, introduce and, and uh, accept all the complexity <clears throat> that's involved with whatever subject we're talking about. So... How did you then tell us that story about that patient, the tinnitus, the migraine? First of all, let's run the tape all the way back. How did you get interested in migraine in the first place? Tell us all about that. Well, when I graduated from dental school, this was back, oh, I, would, I graduated in 63. So this was probably in around 64, 65, 66. I happened to take a course in occlusion from a guy who was brilliant and he just turned me on to it and so i started taking courses from everyone i could find who was teaching the subject okay let's and, stop right there and talk about occlusion yeah. because that's sure. a word you know and some of our audience may not know what occlusion is so let's let's occlusion talk about occlusion is the bite okay it's how the teeth come together and function okay and why they work the way they do or don't work the way they do. That's, we, we call that dysfunction. Uh, when people have a dysfunctional bite, that alone can trigger a, a problem 
that we call a parafunctional habit, which is, and I'm talking about clenching, grinding, and gnashing of teeth. And this is what causes the problem. As I said, just the bite being off a little tiny bit can trigger the tooth clenching, grinding, and gnashing habit. And that causes the pain. The question is, how does the pain develop? And it's really simple to understand. Chuck, have you ever had a Charlie horse? Oh, yeah. A spasm in the muscle in your calf of your leg. Mm -hmm. Leg just cramped right up, and it, it bent in half, and you felt like somebody took an ice pick and drove it into the calf of your leg and started screwing it around in there. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem there in that muscle can happen to any muscle in the body. Now, the head is covered with muscles. We've got two different types. You've got the muscles of facial expression. These are very thin, very fine muscles that you smile or frown or kiss or whatever with. And then, and those muscles, incidentally, are very, very, very weak muscles. They're not the powerful muscles that can go into a spasm that we would call headache. On the other hand, you've got the chewing muscles. And these muscles cover most of the head and for example I remember seeing Dr. Oz not all that long ago take his hand and put it on the side of his jaw and say this is the most powerful muscle in the body and he's right Mm -hmm. it is and if you've ever tried to open a child's mouth to give them medication that they didn't want to take you know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. alright now the thing is there are Three pairs of muscles that close the jaws. Three powerful muscles on each side of the head. And the one on the side of the jaw is one of them. But the other two, one is the temporal muscle, which covers the side of the skull. Mm -hmm. And all three of these are very, very powerful powerful muscles and if they get overworked they can go into the same kind of spasm you get when you get a charlie horse in your leg well let me stop you right there because i think i've got two of them i was thinking of temporal ambassador now what's the third one exactly the third is the medial pterygoid okay now where is that the medial pterygoid the medial pterygoid is the mirror image of the masseter but on the inside of the jaw oh i got you okay Okay? It forms a sling on each side of the jaw with the masseter. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, between these three muscles, the sling muscles and the temporal muscle, the amount of force they can generate is just tremendous. And these muscles, being so powerful, if they go into spasm, you really feel it, especially the temporal muscle. Now, for example, there are lots of forms of headache, or lots of names for headache, let's put it that way. But most of them are named not for the muscle that's in spasm, but for where they attach. 
For example, the temporal muscle, part of it is in the spot right behind the outer ridge of your eyeball mm-hmm. or the eye socket. And that's the thickest and deepest part of the temporal muscle. And if it goes into spasm right there, it feels like it's boring in behind the back of your eye. Mm-hmm. And some people call that a, an eye strain headache. The masseter attaches to the, what we professionals call the zygoma, uh, which is the cheekbone. And inside the cheekbone is the largest sinus cavity in the head. That's where all of the fluid comes when you get a runny nose with a cold. But the thing is, the masseter attaches right at that sinus. And if the masseter happens to go into spasm right where it attaches at the, at the cheekbone, they might think they've got a sinus headache. Or the masseter, the temporalis, the... Uh, and several other muscles. I mean, I could get into the lateral pterygoid and the posterior digastrics and the uh, uh, other neck muscles as well. But the thing is, these muscles surround the ear. And if all of them go into spasm at the same time, you can feel like you got an earache. So you go to the ear, nose, and throat specialist, and he tells you, no, you got a TMJ problem. Go see your dentist. Temporal mandibular joint. Yeah, exactly. And TMJ. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the joint itself has nothing to do with this. It's all muscles. So it just looks all like right? it's a joint, but it's all the surrounding tissue, and the, the muscles are tight. And exactly. How, how does the migraine get hooked up with that, though? I, that's a puzzle for okay. me. <laughs> it's a very simple concept. It's a matter of degree. Mm. Any headache that gets really, really severe, we call a migraine. Now, you might say, but... What about the prodromal symptoms, the, the visual disturbances, the uh, running nose, the, the sweaty palms, the nausea, the vomiting? How does that happen? Well, I don't know exactly how it happens, but I do know that when I had patients take our what we call provocation tests, and I'll get into that in a minute, not only did we provoke their headache or migraine, but they got all of these prodromal symptoms, the sweaty palms, the nausea, the changes in their vision. These all occur when we do the provocation test. Now, let me explain what that is. Provocation tests are simply finding out where a person's bite is off having them close their teeth together on that spot, and we can tell where it is because the the teeth are worn in those areas. So we know they've been wearing their teeth down. That's a spot that's in what we call hyperocclusion. Then we have them clench on that spot, and we have them do it for one minute. That's all. And within a minute's time, 
usually within about 10 to 15 seconds, they're looking down at their palms and they point to it because I can't have them talk at that point. Uh, they point to, I have them point to whatever is happening and they point to their hands and they're getting the sweaty palms. And then they, they put their hand to their stomach and they get this sick looking face uh, expression on their face. And uh, then they finally, if, if the headache or the migraine gets really bad, they, they automatically open their teeth up before the minute is up and uh, tell me I, I can't hold it anymore. And so we use these provocation tests to connect the bite problem to the pain problem in the head. So then what happens is then can you fix it by re recycling all that system or how does how do you actually fix it then? If it, if you if you can stimulate it that way then what's the next step? The next step is to uh, fix the bite. So then you have a number of different ways to actually fix the bite. And that's oh, the, yeah. and that's the the resource for the entire situation. Exactly. Uh, first of all, it takes someone who's got some special advanced training to do this. You can't just go to a general dentist. Most of them anyway, uh, don't know how to adjust the bite really to perfection. And as a result, you've got to do some searching, but once you do find them, what they will do is go in and adjust the bite. And that is done <clears throat> one of two ways usually. One is to make a plastic appliance that the person has to wear on their teeth for the rest of their life, which balances out the occlusion so that the teeth all touch at exactly the same time on the plastic appliance. I don't like that particular technique. Is that technique one that they wear all day, or is that a nighttime? Yeah, they, they wear, wear it all day. All the time. Okay. Well, it depends. In some cases, they wear it only at night. These are the people who wake up in the morning with headache. Okay. The ones who develop it during the day have to wear it during the day, and then there are those who have headaches all the time. They wake up with them. They have them all day long. They have to wear the appliance all the time. Now, I don't like that approach myself. Uh, incidentally, some will do the plastic appliance first to supposedly relax the muscles and get them out of spasm so that they can adjust the bite more accurately. I found that it was not necessary. In three appointments, usually about a week apart, going in and just removing the spot that's hitting too hard. And then once you do that, there will be one or two more that will come up. I'll stop it's right sort there. Of like Ron. Balance, Let me interrupt balance. you for just a second, Ron, because I'm, sure. I'm picturing the mouth, the teeth, I'm following and walking through the mouth with you on this. Now is the spot like two teeth? Is it, you know, you, and, and how yes. is one actually corrected? Do you, move the teeth you put something in there to prevent the teeth from hitting each other what what actually happens there well the plastic appliance is what 
you put in there that prevents the teeth from coming together. The uh, way to do it is to go in and mark the spots. You know, the blue pieces of paper we use when we do a filling to check the bite yeah. and make sure you're not hitting it too hard because we don't want you to break the filling. Well, we use that type of paper. It's marked on both sides with the ink and we find out which side of the jaws where the teeth touch first. We put a piece of paper in on that side, guide the patient's jaws together perfectly the way they need to be with their jaws supported properly and then we gently tap the teeth together and this will leave a blue mark on both the top and bottom teeth where they're touching too hard and then based on specific rules that we've got as far as where we can and where we cannot grind on the teeth we remove a little tiny bit of the tooth enamel in that spot when you say a very, little, very little tiny thin. amount, you mean like a millimeter or how much, even less no, than that? No, no, no. A thousandth of a millimeter. Really? Okay. Yeah. We're talking about a tiny amount. Uh, it's it's just almost, it's about the thickness of a sheet of paper. So it doesn't uh, just, uh, harm the tooth at all? It's just you're taking a very... Oh, no. The enamel in that area is several millimeters thick. And so, and the patient's have worn those areas down far worse than we are taking off. Mm -hmm. So we take a little tiny bit off. Now, once we do it in that spot, we have this problem that somewhere else there's going to be a spot that will hit first. It's sort of like leveling the legs of a table or a chair. You can't just do one spot. You got to go to the next combination of spots or spots um, and you keep doing this until eventually all the teeth in the mouth touch at exactly the same time in exactly the areas they're supposed to touch now this is very interesting and we're we're zooming along with our time here take a moment if you will in just a second i'm going to ask you this question we're going to take a break and hit the sponsors in here in the middle of this but I want to come back with this question so we can get prepared for it. So the question is really simple. Uh, how long does this take when you do the different changes, when you do it? What's the average length of time? And then the other question I'm going to ask following that up is what can a person anticipate would be the duration of effectiveness of that, of that fix? And the third question I want to make sure we talk about is the relationship between tinnitus and those mouth and those muscles and so on and so forth. And we got three, three questions coming up. So let's take a moment of silence, you and I, while we take a turn from our sponsor. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression. 
on every level for families, including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know? We refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing. So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's dhalab.com forward slash core. Okay, Ron, we're back. Thank you very much, folks. We're back. And, Ron, we have three questions for Ron. Basically, how long does it take to fix it? Number two, you know, the whole situation of how long will it stay fixed? And then we're going to talk about the tinnitus and the relationship between tinnitus and migraines, which is far more complicated probably than we can go into in just a short visit. But let's talk about what's the length of time it takes for a person to get, get all this done, Ron? The first point, appointment usually takes about an hour, at least this is the, my experience. The second appointment, and they're a week apart, the second appointment about 30 to 45 minutes. The third appointment, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. That's amazing after a lifetime of pain. Yeah. And to to be able to do something like this and give them the relief after a lifetime of pain, as you said, is just so gratifying. And people need to know that this is what's causing the problem. And these bite changes occur for two reasons. Uh, One, some people can... And when I ask them, they can pinpoint a filling that was put in, and right after that is when their headaches started. I'll be Because the, the, the filling was left too high. And just threw their bite off. Yeah. Okay. So how long It doesn't that, take much. That's amazing. So then how long does that fix actually work for a It'll person? last for years. It'll last for years. Mm. Five, ten years. Wow. Maybe sometime during that period, if they go to the dentist and he puts in a filling that is a little too high, they may have to go back to the dentist who did their bite adjustment and have them take a little bit off. But uh, this lasts because it's balanced. And you correct that you care. You correct. It's a malocclusion. Is that the correct word? That's correct. 
So now, that's interesting. Go ahead. So you're going to say that's, something. That's not the only phase of it, though. We have to also adjust the teeth so that when they slide from side to side, you know, chew from side to side, that the teeth don't in the back don't hit. You might think, wait a minute, how do you chew if they don't hit? Well, they just barely miss. And this shreds the food. And as a matter of fact, when people have this procedure done, they're amazed at how all of a sudden food, tough foods, a tough piece of meat just falls apart in their mouth because their teeth are working so efficiently. So that's another side benefit. Well, that is very interesting. Now, let's talk a little bit about your book. It's one of the reasons you came on. I know you're not here to just tell us about the book because you're a highly motivated guy. You want other people to catch up with this whole thing. You know, I read in your material there's 78 million people in the United States that are troubled by this combination of migraines and tinnitus. Is that is that correct number? Is it the combination or is it just migraines alone? Headache and migraine. Headache and migraine, 78 million people. Tinnitus has nothing to do with that. Okay. so They're that, not related. I got you. So then the next question is, how are they related if the... How does the tinnitus actually, this is the third question, obviously, take us down that path. And how does that, and apparently that's what the title of your book is. You know, the, yeah. so let's talk about your right. book. Okay. Can I just mention something about tinnitus first? Oh, please, of course. Tinnitus works a bit differently. The way we hear is sound going in through the ear, into the eardrum, causing it to vibrate, which causes the three little bones in the middle ear to vibrate, which causes the oval window to the inner ear to vibrate, which causes all those little tiny fibers inside the middle ear to send messages to the hearing center in the brain. Well, with tinnitus, the sound gets transferred a little differently. What happens is there is a ligament named after a guy by the name of Pinto who discovered in the, in the 1950s, up until that time, this was missed by anatomists for hundreds of years. This ligament attaches at the back of the jaw joint and goes through the bone into the middle ear and it attaches to the hamulus. You'll know what that is, although nobody else does. It's one of those three little tiny bones, and it pulls on it. So when you grind your teeth and the jaw moves forward, it pulls on that ligament, which pulls on the malleus, which pulls on the other two little bones, which causes the sound to be stimulated inside the middle ear and go to the hearing center. So this is a, a, a totally different um, method of development than headache or migraine. I mean, that is really interesting material. I mean, I, I'm, I'm having come to mind a patient that I'm working with. I've been, you know, doing the medical thing, dancing around, trying to come up with a game plan because I know inherently he's got a metabolic problem, but I didn't really know this part of it. So I really appreciate you bringing it up. So let's talk, let's talk a little more about that, but let's talk about your book. And, and the book is, I, I, 
I'm going to try to quote it, is headache, migraines, or tinnitus messing with your head. Is that the, ti- the title of the book? That's the title. All right. So we'll have that, folks. We'll have that in the show notes. So it'll be easy link for you to, to pick up on. So then that particular thing. So you've had very significant, positive experience treating tinnitus by fixing that malocclusion. Exactly. Uh, because then they don't do the grinding and clenching and gnashing anymore, and they don't pull on that ligament, which stops the movement of the little bones inside the middle ear. And incidentally, those three little bones are so tiny that all three of them can fit on the surface of the dime and have lots of room left over. They're that tiny. Mm. But the thing is, if they're not clenching, grinding, and gnashing, the jaw's not pulling on the ligament, which is not pulling on the bones, which is not stimulating the uh, hearing center. Now, Ron, you're not in practice anymore. I mean, I, I'd be happy to send this guy over to you because we're both from the Tidewater region. <laughs> I'd send him over to you in a heartbeat, but you're not in practice. So how does a person out there, We, I mean, we have listeners in Croatia, for example. So... How does a person find a person? Are there specific uh, groups that you could send people to who would have practitioners that would know how to do this? So what's the name of the group? First of all, periodontists are trained to adjust the occlusion. Secondly, if you go to the yellow pages in the phone book and let your fingers do the walking, go to the dentist section, and find those dentists who advertise that they treat TMJ problems. And call them up, find out if they use the plastic appliances or if they do the selective grinding procedure, which I prefer. If they do the plastic appliances, I would scratch the name off the list if if it was me. Um, And just go to the ones who do the selective grinding have them have an, a consultation with them. Most dentists will do a free consultation for a new patient and to talk it over with them if you like them and if they sound like they know what they're talking about, then make an appointment and get the get the bite adjusted. Wow. I mean that is it's it's almost ridiculously simple to to think about yeah. when you think about the number of people that have had these problems and and yet I mean have you had people that are refractory that don't respond to like for example this guy with tinnitus uh, have you had people that it doesn't work out for what's the what's the negative where are there any negatives associated with this with this process I can only see positive mm. they can chew better their jaws feel more comfortable. They uh, no longer have head, neck, or facial pain. And I'm talking about headaches, migraine, tinnitus, uh, painful stiff neck and shoulder. I've even seen pain, people with pain going down into the chest and back area who have this originating from their bite problem. Uh, I, I remember one young girl I walked into the examining room. She was there for a new new patient appointment. And uh, she was a 14-year-old girl. And she was sitting in the dental chair, hunched over, 
with her arms around her chest, hugging herself, and she was breathing very shallow. She was pale. She had dark circles under her eyes, and it was obvious she was in pain. And I introduced myself and then started examining her. And uh, when I went in to palpate mastication, the chewing muscles, by that I mean just gently rubbing on them to see if they were uh, tender. Those three mas- were, those three muscles that we were talking about a moment ago, yeah. Um, those three muscles and the lateral pterygoid and the medial pterygoid, the masseter, the temporalis, the posterior digastrix, um, all of the muscles that are involved in movement of the jaw. Mm-hmm. And as I was rubbing on these muscles, just very gently touching them, she was in exquisite pain. Mm. And uh, it was obvious that there was something very wrong here. And when I finished doing the muscles of mastication, I noticed that uh, in her sternocleidomastoid, which is on the side of the neck, there was exquisite pain, which went down to her clavicle and the supra and subclavicular muscles, the ones above and, and below the clavicle, were exquisitely tender. And so were the intercostals going down the left side about halfway, and then it switched over to the right side, where it was exquisitely tender down the right side, the rest of the you know lower part of the chest area. Wow. And... Uh, I, I think her mother was probably looking at me askance uh, while I was doing this, but when I got fi- finished, I said, tell me, how long have you been having the headaches and the chest pain? And they both just started talking at once. How did you know? And I said, it's rather obvious. I said, but how did you know? What's going on? I said, wait, let me, let me just you a little further and so I, I started asking them questions and it turns out that this former A and B student was now getting C's and D's. She couldn't sleep at night because of the pain. She was uh, just a totally different child than she had been just six months before and I could only think of one possible thing that could cause this. So I looked at this at Karen and I asked her how much gum do you chew well her mother and Karen both started talking immediately and her mother wanted to know what are you talking and and I finally got them to calm down and I said to the mother here's what's going on and I explained to them that gum chewing is just like clenching, grinding, and gnashing. And people always chew on the spot where the teeth go through, which is where the spot is that their bite is off. Is that right? And I didn't when know I, that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so they work that part of their mouth where the bite is off in the first place and tend to chew oh, the yeah. gum on that, on that side or on that, that location. Exactly. And what... What I did was I asked Karen if she would try an experiment for me. I didn't want to go in and do a bite adjustment on a Mm 14-year-old. I asked her, would you do an experiment for me? And she said, what's that? I said, would you just stop chewing gum for two weeks and then come back and tell me what 
is going on. She said, okay. And they left. And two weeks later, they came back, and she was a totally different child. She was smiling. She was happy. She was laughing and talking with her mom animatedly. And she uh, was dressed very prettily. She had rosy cheeks. There were no more dark circles under her eyes. And I asked her, how did it go? She said, well, a couple of days after I quit the gum, it all went away. And I said, even the chest pain? She said, yeah, that went first. And uh, I said, well, did you have any headaches at all during the time? She said, one time. I said, what happened? She said, well, a friend of mine offered me some gum, and without thinking, I took it. But when the pain started, I threw it out. Wow. That's a story. So That's gum- amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and and but the thing is, chewing gum causes face facial appearance changes as well. For example, you know how when you pull on muscle, it grows in the direction that you pull. That's how we can do orthodontics. We move the tooth against the bone, and where it's moving against the bone, it dissolves away, and where it's pulling from the back side it builds up so that even though we're moving the teeth through bone, new bone is forming behind it. Well, it's the pull on the bone that causes this growth of bone. And for example, the bone on, or rather the muscle on the side of the jaw, the masseter, attaches at the bottom of the lower jaw. And when you're clenching with that muscle, it's pulling on the bottom jaw. And so the jaw will grow in that direction. And I've seen many times watching models walk down the uh, runway on TV in these fashion shows. And you can look at their faces, and one side of their face is squared off and masculine looking, while the other side is just round and soft like a woman's face should be. And it's because of the chewing gum. They, some of them are walking down the runway chewing gum, and you can see exactly what they're doing. Ron, that is so interesting. It's very, very interesting. And I'm sure our audience is really thinking, uh, there are a number of people out there who are just very appreciative of this because, you know, this is, um, you know, it, it sounds like a small thing, but you think about it, it's all directly related with uh, mental health, brain function, depression, uh, and it gives uh, individuals a whole different way of thinking about options that uh, that could be used to just pull them out of it with a, rel- a relatively short intervention system. It's, exactly. It's, it's amazing. Well, listen, we've got to wind up here. I mean, this is great. Do you have anything uh, that you want to close on here before we go? I mean, I think the thing, we're going to have the reference to the book. In fact, you have uh, several other books that you've written. I'm going to have the link to your um to your author's page at Amazon. So they have some other links going on there. Um, okay. And then do you have a specific website that you prefer to send them to? Or how do you how do you handle Not that? Yet. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. I'm working on it as we speak. Okay. And uh, hopefully that'll be up within the next week. Well, listen, Ron, what you do on that regard, so sorry to interrupt you right there, but I want to make sure I caught you before we went on to something else. Make sure you send that to me. 
because I'll put it in the show notes after we get done because it takes me a week or two to get these things produced and then get them out. And even if it's produced and out, then I'll come in and put it in later. It'll, it'll be in the show notes later on. So go ahead. Great. What are you going to say? I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> just the, the people need to remember that the problem is caused by what they do with their teeth. It's not a medical problem. It's a dental problem. And if they go and get a filling placed and it's hitting a little bit too hard, go back and get them to adjust it. Uh, or you could develop any of these problems yourself. Incidentally, another thing, headaches and migraines have been around since man first started walking upright. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if you've ever seen the the chart that shows the progression of man from ape to Neanderthal mm-hmm. to uh, Homo erectus oh, yes. to mm-hmm. uh, Homo sapiens, and as that progression takes place, uh, for example, in the Neanderthal they had these huge jaws, and then as we develop into more modern man. Uh, the jaw size gets smaller and smaller. Well, back during the Neanderthal's time, the 32 teeth had plenty of room in the jaws. Mm -hmm. But as we progressed, the 32 teeth became too much. It's like having 13 eggs in an egg cup. You can get all 13 in there, but you're going to break one or two of them to do it. The thing is... uh, that's why we have to extract wisdom teeth in most people if they have them, wow. because the jaws just aren't big enough to accommodate them. And, as, and when that happens, it causes crowding of the teeth. The teeth move into positions they weren't meant to be in, and that throws the bite off. Wow. Well, Ron, this has been terribly interesting. It's been really great. I just appreciate you taking the time. I know a number of listeners are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm glad I heard this one, because... This guy really shed some light on something that's been troubling me for many years. And, and listeners, if you have something to comment, please don't hesitate to leave, leave a note down there. And uh, we'll do what we can to. In the meantime, he, uh, Ron gave you some ideas about who to check out. Look at the periodontist. Look at the people who do plastic appliances versus, and you want to do somebody who does the actual selective grinding versus the plastic, plastic appliances. So you have some hard answers wherever you happen to be uh, in, in the country globally, wherever you happen to be. So, Ron, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time with us. You've been most it's helpful. It's been my pleasure. Been, it's been really a good experience. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. I really appreciate it. You have a good day. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at 
corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.